Welcome to the UND Chi Alpha podcast, a podcast for shaping students that are changing culture. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Michaela Moen. I'm super excited to share with you guys the word tonight. Um, if you guys have been with us this summer at all, we've been going through the book of Mark. And this week we're on chapter four. It's been really sweet getting to go through Mark with you guys at large group service and small groups and in our personal devotion time with God. It's just been really sweet being united in what we're reading and implying to our lives. And it's been really best blessing me this summer. So I hope it's been blessing you guys as well. But I'm just going to go uh, give a quick summary of what Pastor Judah, or soon-to-be Pastor Judah, went through last week in Mark 3. Um, so in Mark 3, Jesus called the 12 disciples to himself and then sent them out with authority. And then the rest of Mark 3, Jesus just kind of did his thing. Large crowds gathered. He healed many people, offended some other people, including religious leaders and even his family. However, Jesus didn't let other people's offense get in the way of him doing his Father's will. And that's where we pick up in Mark 4. Mark 4, Jesus is still in Galilee, and he is teaching beside the sea. Again, there's a large crowd gathered to hear his teachings. And after a full day of teaching, Jesus uh, said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. So they took the boat to the other side, and a great windstorm arose. And the disciples were freaking out. But what was Jesus doing? He was taking a fat nap. And I don't blame him, honestly, because he was teaching all day long, and it's tiring teaching. I'm probably going to go take a fat nap after this, too. So Jesus is taking a nap, and uh, to the disciples' credit, they turned to Jesus in their fear. Uh, However, when they found him sleeping, they were not impressed, and they rebuked him for sleeping. And Jesus woke up, rebuked the storm, everything was calm, and then he rebuked the disciples for lacking faith. So that's Mark 4. Now that we have the big picture of what's going on in chapter 4, let's narrow our focus to Jesus' teachings. Jesus taught in parables. We'll be focusing on the parable of the sower. Tonight's sermon is titled, The Good Soil. However, before we get into that, we need to first be able to understand what parables are. So what are parables? Dakota, you can go to the first slide. Sweet. All right, parables are a fictional story using comparison to describe a reality, teach one main lesson, or make one point. And a parable is not a narrative, and it is not a historical event. Therefore, we shouldn't ask questions of every detail of the story um, because it didn't actually happen. And although some parables are semi-allegorical, a parable is not a true allegory where each detail has a particular meaning. Therefore, the only important relevant details are the ones that contribute to the main point. Uh, The next question, why did Jesus teach in parables? Jesus' parables were intended to reveal truths about God's kingdom to those whose hearts were prepared to hear. And at the same time, these parables concealed those truths from people whose hearts were hard and unreceptive to God. So in elementary school, uh, I had this best friend named Taylor, and we were in the same class in third and fourth grade, and we just loved to talk. It didn't matter how far across the classroom the teacher sat us, we always found a way to communicate to each other. And it usually was through passing notes, but the further the teacher sat us from each other, we had to get sneakier with uh, writing these notes because at any point someone could interject and steal a note and read it, and we couldn't have them 
reading what we were saying because you know we were talking about the cute boys in class and we didn't want them to see that and so we had like a code and so like if we ever wrote tree it meant hey what's up how you going how you doing or something um but i remember uh i think my crush in like third grade i named him fire hydrant or something i don't really know and so <laughs> we had this key and so if the teacher ever intercepted the notes and if read it out loud she would be very confused because it's just a ton of symbols and stuff um, and only a few select people knew what each uh like code meant so they only understood the message if they had the key so to relate this back to parables the key to understanding parables is that they had ears to hear and that is what it says in verse 9 of chapter 4. And another important thing to understand with parables is that Jesus used things that made sense in their culture to reveal truths about his kingdom. Therefore, we sometimes have to first understand what something meant in their time before we can know the truth that Jesus re was revealing to them and also us. Um, like I said, I'm going to be focusing on the parable of the sower tonight. However, if you guys are having a hard time understanding the other parables that are in chapter 4, I really encourage you guys to go to small group this week and dissect that together with the small group. So again, guys, Sunday nights, girls, Tuesday nights, literally talk to anyone in this room if you're not connected in a small group and they'll get you connected. All right, so let's read uh, the parable of the sower together. It picks up in verse three of Mark four and it goes through verse nine. So it says, listen, exclamation point. <laughs> the exclamation point is important. We'll get back to that later. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So normally when I read a parable, I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I just kind of move on. But thankfully, this parable, uh, Jesus gives us an explanation of it later on in verse 14. So we'll get there in a second. But it's easy to read over words and not catch the significance of it. And so... Uh, this week when I was studying this parable, I really slowed down and just looked to understand what Jesus meant by every word of this parable. And Jesus starts this parable out with the word, listen, exclamation point. And I made note of that earlier because it's important. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, the Bible was not originally written in English. It was written, this particular text was written in Greek. And in the original Greek language, uh, the word listen, it says, I'm going to try to pronounce Greek. I do not fluently speak Greek, so please don't at me if you speak Greek. Um, it's hupakouen, <laughs> but it translates to hyperhearing. And, and so there's hearing, and then there's hyperhearing. And that's what Jesus was calling for here. Hyperhearing is the kind of hearing that goes beyond the eardrum and affects the heart which prompts obedience. I'm going to repeat that again because it's so good. So hyperhearing is the kind of hearing that goes beyond the eardrum and affects the heart, which prompts obedience. How often do you guys read a portion of scripture and just 
oh, wow, that's a good word, and then keep reading and don't apply it to your life. Or when you go to Chi Alpha or church on Sunday, and you're like, oh, yeah, great message. Anyways, what are you doing the rest of your day? And you just kind of move on, and you don't apply what you're hearing and learning. Um, and that's, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus wants us to hear it, and it want, he wants it to affect our heart and prompt obedience. So let's do that tonight as we're reading this scripture. Let's be hyper-hearers. All right, so Mark 4, verse 3, it says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Who is a sower in this parable? Uh, like I said, in verse 14, Jesus gives an explanation of the parable. Uh, in verse 14, it says, The sower sows the word. So it is God who distributes his word into the world, and so therefore God is a sower in this parable. And this parable talks about three bad soil types and one good soil that bears fruit. And again, thankfully, Jesus gave us the interpretation of this parable. So let's just read that, uh, picking up in verse 14, and it goes through 20. It says, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So again, tonight's sermon is titled, The Good Soil. Only one of the four types of soil brings forth a harvest. And it is the good soil, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. The seed of God's word has to take root, root, wow, I can't not say that word, root in our hearts if we are to enter the kingdom of God. So when the seed of the word takes root, <laughs> there will be fruit. I'm going to try to avoid that word the rest of the sermon. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So what makes the good soil good? That is what we're going to be going through tonight. So there's four things that makes good soil good. And the first thing is hyper hearing, which we've gone through a little bit already. But we need to hear the word and accept it as truth and therefore be obedient to it. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You need to have hyper hearing. Again, that's the type of hearing that goes behind, beyond the eardrum and affects the heart and um, causes obedience. This prevents Satan from being able to come and take away the word that is sown in your heart. So that's the first thing that makes the good soil good, having hyper hearing. The second thing is having the grit to keep going. Life is hard. Even after we make the decision to make Jesus our Lord and Savior, life is still hard. Uh, the sinner's prayer is not a magical prayer that just makes everything in life better. I thought it was, but... <laughs> Yes, walking with Jesus, doing life with Jesus, like things are better, but it's not perfect. But he promises to be with us and that he will not forsake us and that he will be our strength. There will be times when we don't see him or working in, his, in our life. It doesn't mean he's not. He's there. He's working. And we have to continue being faithful. And uh, 
there's also going to be times when we will experience tribulation or per, and or persecution as believers. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so when we have the grit to keep going, this helps the word grow strong roots in our heart. So an example of this in my own life, uh, like I said, growing up, I definitely prayed the sinner's prayer like every single week at church or every altar call at Bible camp. I was just like, maybe this will be the time where everything just gets better. And that's honestly was my perception of following Jesus. Everything was just going to be perfect. There was never going to be any persecution. But that just wasn't reality. Things weren't perfect in my life. And when I was trying to walk with Jesus um, my and trying to be like Jesus, my friends at school didn't like that. And I was starting to kind of get made fun of and being the, I don't know, goody two-shoes church kid. And I didn't like that. <laughs> and so it, it was kind of a rest. It was hard for me. And that it it didn't allow the word to take root in my life because I, um, it, you can't live for both the world and for God. And I was trying to, I was just deceived, honestly. I was confused and I didn't understand. So this is an important thing for us to understand um, when we are giving our lives to Jesus is that life's not going to be perfect and we have to have the grit when life's hard. But we also have to understand this when we're preaching um, the gospel to other people. We have to make sure we're communicating that life's not going to be perfect. You're going to have to have grit. So that is the second thing that makes the good soil good. The third thing is we need to die to ourself. We must die to the, to the desires of our flesh. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things can easily enter in and choke the word in our heart. Ephesians 2, or sorry, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitfulness, desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So dying to yourself is definitely a daily thing. It's not just, you give your life to Jesus, old self is gone, and you're just never going to make, you're never going to have any desires for the world ever again. At least that didn't happen for me. Maybe you guys are holier than me, but I definitely still had um, desires of my flesh, and I have to die to that every day. A, a big thing that I have to die to every day is my want and desire to please people. Um, I really, really care about what people think about me, and that was the tension when I first gave my life to Jesus. I wanted to please God, but I also wanted to please people. But that's just, it doesn't work that way. Paul says you can't please God and please people and please man. And so that is something I have to die to every day. Some days it's easier, some days it's not. But um, whatever it is, maybe it's the same thing for you. Maybe you also struggle with wanting to people please, or maybe it's something else for you. But um, we have to die to those things every day. And this is also something that we have to communicate to people when we're sharing the gospel with them. We can't just teach the come and see Jesus and all the things that you can receive from him. That's so good, but we also have to teach the come and die. Like, following Jesus requires dying to self. And we have to be able to, we have to preach that or else we are not preaching the full gospel. So that's the third thing 
of what makes good soil dying to self. And the fourth thing is bearing fruit. Not, and this isn't just growing in maturity and possessing the fruits of the Spirit, but this fruit also refers to making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We can't just stay where we're at um, and, yeah, we can't, not just like maturity-wise, but also we can't just like stay in our Christian circle. Just like Judah was talking about last week, we can't uh, stay in our parents' home forever. We have to move out and go out into the world and make disciples who make disciples. Uh, John 15, 1 through 5 says, I'm the true vine, Jesus speaking, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So thankfully, uh, bearing fruit, this isn't something that we have to strive for. This is something that will just happen naturally as we abide in Christ and as we're with him. Um, But Robert E. Coleman, he's a great author. He writes this book that we read in discipleship training class. It's called Master Plan of Evangelism. And he says it like this, a bearing Christian is a contradiction. In other words, a Christian who stays a baby Christian and doesn't mature or doesn't make disciples is a contradiction to what a Christian is supposed to be. So those are the four things um, that makes a good soil good. Having hyper hearing, having the grit grit to keep going, dying to ourself and bearing fruit. Um, At this time, if I can have Chris come up wherever you are, sweet. Uh, But in this time of reflection and response, I have four questions that you guys can read here on the screen. The first one is, do you have hyper hearing? Are you obedient to what you read in scripture? The second one is, do you have strong roots? When things get hard, do you have grit or do you fall away? The third thing is, do you daily die to yourself or are you still trying to live both for the world and for God? And the fourth thing is, do you see fruit in your life as a maturing Christian? Are you making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? I just encourage you guys to take time to reflect on that for a little bit. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed you, encouraged you, and equipped you to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you would like to connect with us, you can visit us at undkialpha.com.